How he loves us is really about the gospel, and that's where Paul is in this third chapter, um, really just explaining so well um, exactly what the gospel is, and he just uh, does it different ways, and I think a lot of that has to do with his audience. Like I think he, he knows where this church is, and he knows how to present it and how to communicate it in a way that they need to hear. Um, this, uh, these recipients grew up under... Uh, the what what's what they knew and as far as as Christians they knew it to be the old covenant um, some of them just knew it as you know the covenant that God made with Moses and the children of Abraham that kind of stuff um, so he's writing to a group of people who who grew up in one way of thinking and now that they are Christians they're they're having to to renew their minds and learn to think differently and I think that's so important because because I think we are designed by God to, uh, to function a certain way. And a part of that way is that everything that we do and say and think and um, our motives and the way we interpret circumstances, the way we interpret world events, and the way we interpret, interpret our emotions and our actions, all those, everything about us is coming from, uh, from who we are. Like it's coming from our heart, who we really are. And uh, so that's, that's the way God designed us to, you know, to function. Everything flows from there. Um, the problem is that a lot of times there's something that kind of overrides that, and what we, who we think we are, becomes the driving force behind those things instead of who we really are. So it's what, what we think about ourselves becomes super important, um, and and so uh, we're kind of born. Uh, we're born into this situation where we have uh, what the Old Testament describes as a heart of stone. So we have this heart of stone that is, uh, we're separated from God. This sounds weird. Does it sound weird? Okay. Thanks. Sometimes the masculinity in my voice is too much for the little, <laughs> little microphone. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for the laughter. Um, so, so we're born and there's this heart of stone that, that's there. And the reason that heart is described as being made of stone is because um, we were born with the sin nature of our parents and their parents. And it goes all the way back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. And uh, when they sinned, they were separated from God and uh, everything got messed up. They passed that nature and that separation and that guilt and all that stuff onto their kids and so forth and so on. So we're, when we're born, that's, that's the condition of our hearts. But our minds override that because we think we're okay. And so we're separated from God, but we think that we're just fine. You know, we think that we're all good or whatever. And so there comes a point in life where, uh, you know, for those who are Christians, where you realize that the way you've been thinking about yourself and the reality of your heart are two different things. And the Lord uh, just sinks those things up, like, like literally, like, uh, yeah, like hitting the sync button on your iPod when you hook it up to your computer or whatever. Like it just, those two things all of a sudden line up and you, then all of a sudden your mind, you begin to think of yourself as a true reflection of your heart and you realize that 
you need a redeemer. Like you need a savior that you are a sinner separated from God, all that kind of stuff. You, all that stuff becomes real. And so whenever you become a Christian, God removes that heart of stone and puts in what the Bible describes as a heart of flesh. Does this still sound weird? You mean, uh, Matt, I'll just switch to the handheld. How about that? It can handle my, uh, my gruffness. Testing. Testing. All right. I always feel like a talk show host when I get this mic and I preach. I want to walk through the crowd, accuse somebody of, you know, Lying on their paternity tests. Um, so, it might happen. You never know. Um, so, uh, yeah, so where were we? Oh, yeah, the gospel. Um, so, when, when you come to know Christ, that heart of stone is removed, replaced with a heart of flesh. But here comes the, the next problem, is that your heart is new, but your mind is still like the old mindset. And so in Romans 12, Paul describes it as like we're being transformed by the renewing of our mind. So our minds that are still thinking in an old way are trying to catch up with this new heart that we have. And so every day, uh, every moment of our lives, there's supposed to be this continual uh, bringing our minds on the same page as our heart. Because here we are, we have this new identity that is, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the new identity but that's being overridden by, again, our minds and, what, and who we think we are. And so it's weird because you go from thinking you're okay to realizing that you're not okay, and now that you are okay, you still kind of think that you're not okay. And so every day, uh, our minds are renewed, constantly being put on the same page as our new hearts. And so if, if you think about it, like you're, like you're syncing up your like, computer and your iPod or whatever, um, that's, that is, that's, one of the defining qualities about the Christian life that's supposed to be a part of our experience. And, I mean, I'm a simple-minded guy, but every time I uh, put my iPod and it goes into the computer and I hit sync and it, like, takes a few minutes and all of a sudden, like, like the iPod looks like the, the iTunes, I'm just, like, amazed. And I'm not trying to, like, promote Apple necessarily, but everybody who was, like, an Apple person was like, look, it's like the easiest thing you've ever seen. You will not regret your decision. I was like, oh, whatever, you know. So I get an, an iPhone. They're like, take it home, plug it in, give it a few minutes, and it'll work. I'm like, yeah, right. Plug it in, hit the button. A few minutes later, it works. The reason God did it that way, I, I think, and I think the Scriptures teach us, instead of new heart, automatically new mind, completely renewed, and then, you know, you're good to go, um, is because of this. Every time you sync those things together, if you're an Apple person, you should be like, these guys are geniuses. These guys are, I mean, how, how do they do this? I mean, Bill Gates needs to talk to these guys and figure out how to make this work. The people at Apple are phenomenal. They're geniuses. They're brilliant. They're, what it, that's what's supposed to happen to us every time um, we have those times when our minds and our hearts are in sync. We're supposed to be like, Jesus is incredible. I cannot believe the goodness of my God and my Savior. That's why 
when you're in a worship service, this church, anywhere else, doesn't really matter. You begin to sing songs that are all about truth, and that's why all of a sudden you're just loving it because that is shalom. That's peace. That's your mind and your heart connecting with what's really going on. And so that's, that's what's happening when we meet together. That's what ha- is happening when we get in the scriptures together. And that's what Paul is, uh, what he's trying to help uh, this group of people do, is they, they grew up um, in, you know, in the synagogues and all this kind of stuff. And so now that they're Christians, they're, he's trying to teach them and just put truth in front of them, put truth in front of them so that their minds can be renewed so that they're starting to think in accordance with their new identity in their heart instead of their minds overriding that identity. I hope that makes sense. If not, maybe, we'll, maybe it'll, it will as we keep going. We're going to end chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 7. And before that, like I, know, uh, I know that we were missing quite a few people last week, and I want to just give you a, a quick synopsis because it's crucial that we understand covenants in order to understand the rest of this chapter, okay? So if you were here last week, it's just, just see it as review, all right? Here's a ridiculously fast overview of the Old Testament. Okay, uh, in the beginning, no, uh, we won't go that far back. Covenants are, relation, it's a relational agreement, uh, not like a mortgage, not, there's no goods changing hand or whatever. This is two people looking each other in the face and saying, this is how we're going to live together. This is what our relationship is going to look like. That's what a covenant is. So God makes a covenant with Abraham and says, uh, hey, really, really old man, I'm going to uh, give you kids and I'm going to make your ancestors like the uh, sand on the seashore, like the stars in the sky. You're going to be the father of a great nation. And uh, so he made this relationship covenant with Abraham and it happened. So then here you are, you have uh, all those descendants are uh, formed into this nation um, and they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses is their leader and God makes a covenant with this nation, with the Israelites. And, and so he makes this covenant and it's again saying this is, this is how we're going to, uh, this is what our relationship is going to look like. Um, the old covenant is, can be summed up like this. Uh, God says, I will be your God, you will be my people. You'll be my people. I will be your God. That's how this is going to work. And so he's essentially saying, uh, you're going to be my people, so I'm going to treat you as, uh, as one who is a possessive father over his children. Not in a creepy way, in an awesome way. I'm going to provide for you. Uh, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to help you establish yourselves. I'm going to give you leaders. I'm going to give you organization. Uh, I'm going to give you the law. I'm going to give you all this. I'm going to completely care for you because you are mine. So that's what I'm going to do. And so uh, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to treat you that way. And I'm going to be your God, and you're going to treat me that way. So you're going to worship me because I'm the only one worthy. Uh, You're going to honor me. You're going to obey me. You're going to trust me above everything else. You're not going to have other gods. I'm going to be your one and only God, and you're going to be my people. And that's what this covenant is going to look like. And so to help them understand how that covenant was going to be lived out, he gave them uh, all these laws and all these rules and all these you know, guidance uh, points to be able to uh, figure out what that looks like. 
Um, so the first five book the, books of the Bible just explain in great detail all these things that he wants them to do. Those things are summed up uh, by, the, by the Ten Commandments. It's a summary of the first five books of the Bible, really, are the, the Ten Commandments. So Moses goes up on the mountain, comes back down, uh, brings Ten Commandments, and there's a problem. He comes back down, and you may remember the story. Uh, he was gone for so long that people started freaking out, and uh, they didn't know what happened to him. And so they looked at uh, Moses' uh, brother-in-law and his uh, like assistant dude, and was like, his name was Aaron. They said, what do we do? He said, give me all the gold. And so they melted down. And uh, his explanation is, uh, we put it in this pot, and then this calf came out. Like, if you read it, that's, ex- that's his actual explanation as to why they created this idol. It just it came out, it looked like a cow. Okay, well, that's not true. Um, but uh, they formed this idol, this cow, and they begin to worship it. So Moses comes down, and he's like had this incredible encounter with God. He brings this Ten Commandments, the summary of the law. And they're worshiping this cow. Now, uh, one of the great problems with this is that he comes down with the law, and they've already broken it. Like, done. Broken. Covenant, done. So the Ten Commandments sum up the five, first five books of the Bible. Jesus narrowed those ten down to two, which were love, your, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the covenant is a covenant of love. Love God, love people, love one another. It's all about love. So this incredible covenant that God makes with these people who did not exist um, before, and he made them into a nation, brought them out of Egypt, had done all these things, he comes down to give them this covenant of love and how to do it and all this kind of stuff, whatever, and they're worshiping a cow. So Moses, of course, goes crazy, breaks the command, breaks the, the tablets uh, that had the commandments written on them. And then just weird stuff happens. You could go read it for yourself. It's like Exodus like 33. It gets really strange. Like it says that he ground up the cow and a fine powder and made them all drink it. I don't know what that means. So then the people realize what's going on. He goes back up the mountain um, and God does uh, carves the, the commandments into the stone tablets again. He comes down. So that's the old covenant, a covenant of love. God setting the terms for his relationship with these people, saying, you're going to be my people, and this is what that looks like, and this is how you're going to do it, and I'm going to be your God, and this is what that's going to look like, and this is how I'm going to do it. So that's the old covenant. Now, like I said last week, that sounds really great, except for one huge problem. Um, the people were separate from God because of their sin, like I talked about earlier. So the people were born, so here they are, hearts of stone, and their minds are telling them that everything's fine, they're okay. And God knows that this is a problem. So he intentionally creates this system to be able to show them and expose the fact that there's a problem here. So he says, follow these Ten Commandments, everything will be fine. I say, okay. And then they just keep breaking them, and keep breaking them, and keep breaking them. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to show them the issue that your heart is the problem, but your mind thinks that you're okay. So he's trying to sync up their mind with their heart, helping them to, to think of themselves as they really are. And he uses the law to do that. And he's creating this awareness of the fact that like, they, just, they cannot do it on their own. They need a Savior. 
And then Jeremiah comes along and these uh, prophets, and they start talking about the new covenant that's going to come. And that's what I was talking about earlier, the heart of stone being taken out, the heart of flesh being there, because um, there was a missing element. It was the heart. And so the new covenant is about uh, completing that so that you can not only know what God's will is, but you also have this heart that's capable of carrying that out. A heart of stone is, is separate from God. There's no power. There's no ability to, to carry it out. So here God, just, he's just shown it to him over and over and over and over again. And then he begins to tell him, but there's a new covenant I'm going to make, a new covenant I'm going to make. And eventually they start to realize, okay, we, we need a new covenant. There's something missing about this covenant. Um, this covenant is, is incomplete and is not provided for us what we need. And so when Jesus shows up, Jesus says, I've not come to abolish that. I've come to fulfill that. I've come to fill in the missing pieces to make this complete. So I'm going to like complete this covenant. So the new covenant in Christ is really um, him coming in, ripping out the heart of stone, putting it in the heart of flesh. And so now there's an ability to be obedient to that law and to, to do all those things. And then to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself and to love him back. So the only way for, for the, I will be your God, you will be my people, for that to be carried out is, is through Jesus coming and making it possible. Okay? So that's super fast overview of covenants in the Bible. Now, let's get to the text. Verse 7. It says, Now if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, okay? So that's the, the Ten Commandments he's talking about. Now, he describes it as a ministry of death. Strong. So now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if it was being brought to an end, if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Okay, so I love Paul, but sometimes you're like, dude, you just said that. He's obviously making a point. If he's going to call the Old Covenant ministry of death, ministry of condemnation. But what he's really driving at is that that's coming to an end. So keep in mind, he's writing to people who grew up under that old covenant thinking. That's all that they knew. Now when he's talking about glory, that's talking about the like when God is revealing himself and he's revealing his plan and who he is and he's telling the truth and all that kind of stuff, that's that's how God did it. So the, the old covenant... Um, I think it gets a really bad rap sometimes. Because it's like the more you study the New Covenant, you're like, oh, yeah, New Covenant, totally free, whatever, and that's legalism, and that's the Old Covenant, that's dead, and, you know, whatever. But what he's saying here is that, look, that Old Covenant was full of God's glory because that's how he was revealing who he is and what his plan is, and, and all that kind of, that's how he was revealing himself. So if, if that revelation was so intense that Moses like, had to wear a veil over his face. We'll get to that in a second. I mean, if that was the intensity of the glory and the revelation of the Old Covenant, 
which was coming to an end. I mean, it was temporary. It was missing something crucial. It was only the beginning of God's plan. It was something that God was using to uh, to teach and to train and to expose. Like I said last week, it's like, it was like a mirror that God's holding up to say, "Look at look at your heart. Look at your heart. It's it's stone. You think it's okay, but this is this is your reality. That's what the that's what the law was doing. Um, that came with tremendous glory, and tremendous honor to God. And what he's saying is if that, which was actually a ministry of condemnation, because it was basically like showing you this is what this is the condition of your heart, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's why it's condemnation. That's why it's a ministry of death. So like, this is the condition of your heart, but there's no empowerment for you to change it. If if God showed up so strong through that, how much more is he going to show up and how much more glory is there in the new covenant through Christ? So if you're if you're a 100% pretty much Jewish audience, that's going to hit you really hard. Because you're thinking like it, you know, doesn't get any better than the old covenant. And so what he's trying to tell me is like, look, that that was awesome, but that was temporary. This is more awesome, and it's forever. And I think there's such a great truth for us in there, in the fact that Jesus' sacrifice and what he did on the cross and all that stuff, was, it was once, and it was enough. If you are a Christian, there's, there's not more that needs to happen for you in regard to your justification and your standing before God. Like he has removed your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. Your motives, your emotions, um, everything about you has been redeemed and is new and is different. And I think sometimes we kind of feel like like there's more salvation hanging out there for us somewhere, you know. The issue is not am, am I uh, am I 100% saved or am I 75% saved or whatever. No, it's it's 100%. The issue comes from what I was saying earlier is that your heart is there, your mind is not. So we're having to learn how to rethink about who we are, who God is, what the gospel is, what reality is. That's like the problem is up here. That's why Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But your heart, that's done. The new covenant is permanent. And so if you're here tonight and you kind of feel like uncertain about that, you need to know, like, you're, it's done. You couldn't do anything to change where you were, and you didn't do anything to get where you are, and it's done. So, I mean, receive that. I mean, that's... Allow, allow that sinking to happen. That's how you have to start to think about yourself. That's how I have to start to think about myself. That I'm complete. That I'm done. Now, absolutely, we still, there are still parts of us that, are, um, that have a ways to go, and we'll talk about that. But when it comes to your identity, like who you are, like your heart on the inside, that's done. Now it's just, Everything else is trying to sync up with who we really are. And so, yeah, your behavior, your, your thought patterns, 
your words, your motives, how you interpret your circumstances, and how you interpret world events, all those things I said earlier, uh, those are like God is working on all that stuff to bring it and make it consistent with here. That's what the new covenant is. It's permanent, and it's a permanent process that we're in until one day we're in heaven with him, and you know what? None of that stuff really matters. It's awesome. Let's look at the next, look at the next paragraph. Now here's, here's where Paul's personality kicks in. Uh, we've we've studied this letter from the verse number one, so you you know the dude uh, has some guts and whatever, and you have to have guts if you're going to basically say that uh, if you're going to bring Moses into a discussion with a Jewish audience. Like, you better know your stuff. This is what he says. Since we have such a hope, okay, so basically in light of, of the new covenant realities, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. All right, let's just stop. Um, he's not saying that Moses had no faith, that Moses was a bad leader, that man was whatever. He's basically saying Moses was under the Old Covenant. See, so we're under the New Covenant. So since we have this hope, we are bold and we don't have to wear a veil. All right, now, here's, here's the, the veil deal. Um, after Moses had been up on the mountain and stuff, and he came down, uh, the glory of God uh, was like literally like reflecting off of his face, like sunburn off of a pastor with a big forehead. Uh, if you uh, if you've seen the Ten Commandments, uh, you know with Charlton Heston when he comes back down off the mountain, you know he looks like he's like a billion years old. He's got like Gandalf beard and big hair or whatever, and he's like, you know, whatever. Uh, somehow, when he, he looked different when he came down off the mountain than when he went back up. And that, uh, that glory that was reflecting off of him was convicting to the Israelites. It's like, have you ever known somebody who, um, who was like really like just like living it out? I mean, just right on it. I mean, pursuing holiness, there's fruit in their lives, just in love with Christ, but not in a weird way. You know, you look at him, you're like, I want, I want that guy's faith. You know, I want, I want, I want to be that person. You know, I want to be me, but like that person. You see him, and if you're in a good spot, that's how you feel. You're like, I, I just really admire that, and I, I want to learn from that person. If you're walking in sin, you hate that person, you know? You're like, that guy thinks he is so awesome. That guy thinks he's so much better than me. I wish he would stop talking about Jesus so much. I wish God would just, like, make him get in a car wreck so he would know that he's not that special, which is bad thinking. Go to community group. But, uh, um... But that's kind of how your attitude is. And, and when you're in sin, like, there's just something about, you just don't like people who are walking 
uh, in the light. Because it has this effect on you that is convicting. And that's kind of how this glory was coming off of Moses. Was it was the revelation of God, and they were like, dude, just stop. We, we're covenant breakers, okay? We get it. There's nothing we can do. And he wasn't even yelling at him. He was just standing there. And so the, this revelation of the holiness and the goodness and all this stuff of God was on him, and it was just exposing. And so they asked him to put a veil on. Because then it was just easier to be around him. It, was, it didn't hurt as much. It wasn't as exposing. And honestly, I understand, because if they're in the, under that old covenant, there's nothing they could do about it anyway. They're like, we're trying, dude, come on. And that's all part of God's plan, because in their minds, they thought they were okay. They just thought they were trying really hard. So he asked him to put a veil over his face, and so he did. And so Moses lived, like, veiled, um, except for when uh, he would speak on God's behalf to the people. Like he was func- when he was functioning as a prophet. And so they had this, this thing called the tent of meeting and stuff. And so Moses would go into the tent to meet with the Lord. And like, this, like the pillar of uh, fire or whatever would come and stuff. And everybody would know about it and all that stuff. So uh, when Moses would come back, if he had something to communicate to the people and it was from God, he would take that veil away, exposing that glory and that holiness. And so when he spoke the word of God to them directly, he took the veil off. And then when that was done, he put the veil back on. He was just being like regular old Moses. And so a veil became symbolic of the, the hardness of heart of the Israelites. And so you, you see it like going on from there. When he went into the tent of meeting, he was also behind a veil. Uh, you, um, you know, like in the synagogues and stuff, when you had the, the Holy of Holies in the, in the middle of the, of the deal, it was surrounded by this really thick veil. And so the, the high priest would go in like through the veil into the presence of God. Um, and that veil just became super symbolic. And so everybody would have known that. So when Paul's writing this letter and he's talking about the, this veiling and stuff like that, uh, they, would have, they would have all connected those dots. The veil wasn't just like something draped over his face. It was symbolic of their guilt and the fact they were covenant breakers. And that there's nothing they could do about it. So let's go, let's go back and look at it again. Uh, so since, this is verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we're very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites uh, might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Okay? Uh, all the covenant stuff that we just talked about. But their minds were hardened. Their minds were hardened. They didn't know. They weren't thinking correctly. They weren't. There was no syncing up that was happening. God was was showing them the the truth of their hearts, but their minds weren't going there. They kept just thinking that they were fine. So their minds were hardened in the sense that they weren't willing to change the way they thought about themselves, or the way they thought about God. They weren't seeing that there was was an issue. Their minds were hardened. For this day, when they read the old covenant. This, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. So there are, I mean, this is not a, uh, I mean, just for an, an understanding there, to this day is what he's saying. So to that time, first century, all the way to this day, uh, 
when the old covenant is read, that same veil is there. And so you guys just blessed the heck out of me a couple years ago and let me go to, to Israel and we're there in Jerusalem, you know, at the Western Wall, and everybody, they're there, and they're praying, and they're so devout, and all this kind of stuff, and you're looking at it, and you're like, that's tremendous faith. I mean, that's, that's devotion. That's just so challenging, and at first, you're so moved by it, and then you remember verses like this, and you're like, yeah, but there's a veil. There's a veil that's there. They're unable to see what's really going on. So it's like if the law is a mirror that's like showing you the condition of your heart, uh, the veil, it's like, it, it's like it covers that mirror. So, so they're looking, but they're, they're not seeing because their minds are hardened. They're like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Their minds were hardened because, because of sin and being covenant breakers because they were separated from God and all this kind of stuff. So this whole system is created by God to, to just scream at them, there's a problem There's a problem. There's a veil that's there. There's a problem. And look at the next verse. This is again where he says what he just said. Verse 15. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. That's a chilling verse. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. So your salvation, okay, Leave the, leave the like, Jewish stuff behind. Your salvation, my salvation. You're born, heart of stone, mind thinks you're okay, and both have been hardened. You have Jesus standing in front of you with the mirror. There's a veil in front of it. So you're living life, trying the best you can, but really you're thinking there's really not a problem. Here's the process that it happens. I said last week that, that like you come to this realization that Jesus is the one holding the mirror, and he says, I can fix this. Well, here's, here's like one level deeper of what goes on. Um, you're living your life, you're living your life, you're living your life, and Jesus begins to whisper to you that you are the problem, that there, that there is a problem that's, that's deeper than you can fix. And he's the one, and he's speaking it, and he's speaking it, and speaking it. And there's something about the words of Christ that are just softening. And I, I don't know why some people are, are just, why it impacts some people and it doesn't others. I, I really don't know. I don't want to know. That's not what this is about. In your life, Jesus began to speak to you. He began to say there's, there's more going on here. There's more going on here. There's a problem. There's a problem. And so there's Jesus holding the mirror. There's a veil in front of it. And you're looking at this mirror because you're trying to figure out who you are, ultimately. And what happens is you, sensing there's a problem, you turn to the guy holding the mirror. And you're like, what, what the heck's going on? You turn to him, Holy Spirit removes the veil, he's, he's still holding the mirror. And you look, and you're like, oh, I see. In that moment, your mind syncs up with your heart. And you realize with your brain, you begin to think about yourself in the correct way, 
which is the fact that the problem is here. And so you're looking at it, and you're looking at it, and you're looking at it. And you're like, I don't know what to do. And you look like the guy holding the mirror, who's Jesus, and he says, I can fix this. And you say, yes, please. And he says, you have to turn from this life that, that you're living. You have to repent of your sin. You have to re- basically acknowledge the fact that your heart is stone. And you have to look at me as the Savior, the one who came to f- complete the covenant and trust that that's what I came here to do and I'll do it. And you look at him and say, I see my heart in this mirror and there's nothing I can do about it and I believe you came to fix it. He says, awesome. Heart of stone comes out, heart of flesh goes in. An exchange of life. He begins to live inside of you because he looks looks at a heart of flesh and says, you know, it's even though your heart's new, that's not all that needs to happen. I'm going to give you a new heart that I'm going to live in, literally, that I'm going to empower. And so now your motives and uh, your, your emotions and your thoughts and everything is, is done because this new heart doesn't carry penalty of sin with it anymore. I took care of that. That's a part of the rescue, part of what's going to fix this. And so you walk away from that exchange, completely different person, that's why the next verse says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Sounds a little familiar. The Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's freedom in your heart because of that exchange we just talked about. You're free from what you were born into. You're in a situation where you had no choice, and now you're in a situation where you do have choice, and I do have choice. So Old Covenant, they want to obey God probably, and but they can't. And now you're in a position where in your heart of hearts, like in, in your true self, you want to. And now because he's the spirit and where he dwells, there's freedom, uh, you now have the ability to do that. So in the next verse, And we all, with unveiled face, okay, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that, okay? Veil been taken away. And unlike the Israelites, who didn't want to look at Moses' face because it exposed them, now we look directly at him. And what's awesome is in this, like, weird illustration about Jesus holding a mirror, uh, you stop looking in the mirror and you start just looking at the guy holding it. That's what saying is, like, you stop looking at whatever, and with unveiled face, you behold the glory of the Lord. You're not scared to look at the face of the Lord anymore. The Israelites thought, if we look at Moses' face, like, God's going to destroy us because we know that God destroys sin. So put a veil up because we don't want to get destroyed. And Jesus is saying, hey, just, just look at me. 
Where I am, there's freedom. Look at me. And now it says we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Transformed into that image means that now that our minds are being renewed from one degree of glory to another. That's, that's life for us now. New heart, mind that still has an old way of thinking that God every day is renewing and transforming and renewing and transforming. Unveiled face, looked at Jesus. He's making you look like him. The thing is, if you keep looking in the mirror, you're going you're gonna to waste time. You just need to look at his face and trust that he's making you look like him. That's, that's the bottom line. And that our minds are renewed by sinking into truth. And that's why we need to be in the Word. I mean, I grew up in church for so long. People, you know, it's like, you need to have a quiet time. You need to have a quiet time. You have a quiet time. And what was formed in me was good Christians have quiet times. Bad Christians don't have quiet times. I wanted to be a good Christian, so I'd have a quiet time. So I'd read my Bible, and it was, check it off the list, you know. I was a good Christian for three days this week. Awesome. But the, the reason why time in the Scriptures and time in prayer with the Lord is because that is staring at His face. That is renewal of the mind. That is transformation into His image. And that's what I want. And when I understand that, my mind is syncing up with my heart, and I'm not, it's not a task. It's a joy. It's a necessity. I want to look more like Him today. So i got to find out who He is. Find out who I am. And that is freedom. And that's, I mean, that's the gospel, you know. And that's the new covenant. Like we said last week, we're ministers of the new covenant. We're the ones who serve that message. And I think there's, there's two big things that fit into that. One, we have to understand that message and how it fits into our own lives. Like You have to understand your story as it plays out. And the more we understand that, the more we sync up with the Lord, the more we realize there are people all around me who have no idea about what the gospel really says. Maybe they've never heard it. Maybe they've just heard it wrong. But they need to know. And God has sent me to tell them. It's a tremendous, tremendous story. And like I said at the beginning, in relationship to that song, the story is not about us and how great we are. The story is about our God and how phenomenally, just mind-blowing the gospel is. And now, we can be bold because of the hope that's in us. It's just amazing. Amazing. Let's pray. God, just what a... Um, What a crazy story. I mean, no idea why why you would go to such great lengths. But I believe with all my heart that you did, regardless of if I understand it or not. I believe that this story really tells us something about you and who you are and what you're like. Now, for a covenant that's based on love, 
because you are love. Because in the Trinity, you're, there's love. And so your covenant with your people just reflects that. And you refuse to be separated from those that you love. And so you did what only you could do to fix that. God, we're, we're grateful for that. And we love you, Father, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's, uh, let's stand up for a second. I want to just real, I don't do anything real fast, but let me quickly set the table for just how, how I think we need to close tonight. Um, I think that I think we're gonna do these two songs, and they of course fit into what we've been talking about. But I, I think that the way we uh, just kind of posture our hearts and minds need to be twofold. One, uh, I think we need to sing some of these things with with our own story in mind, recognizing the uh, the rescue of the Lord in our own lives, because I think that is crucial for us living a life as ministers of the new covenant. So the second thing would be, um, who are the people in your life that God has he's brought you in relationally into their lives to ser- like serve this to them? Um, and recognizing that the same solution for your life is the solution for their life. Um, you are not the solution to them. The Lord is. And so um, just pray that... Um, praying for tonight that there would be some sort of awakening in us tonight. Maybe this just hasn't happened before. Um, let me also say this. If you are in this room and you feel like the Lord is just like spotlighting you in this and you feel like you have no idea which covenant you're even a part of, and you think maybe Jesus has been whispering to you and you want to turn to him to take that veil away, uh, you want that exchange to happen, in all honesty, the worst thing I could ever do is try to walk you through a prayer because that's the most important conversation you're ever going to have in your whole life. Um, So my encouragement to you would be to not worry about the words or saying the right thing or whatever. Just talk to God about that. Use this time uh, to just have that for you and Him. And after this tonight, grab somebody. Come get me. Grab a hold of somebody that you came with, whatever. Uh, We have elders and staff and whoever, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, We'd love to talk with you further, but we want you to talk to the Lord about it first. So let's sing this together with those things in mind. I know it's a lot, but you're brilliant people. I believe you can do it. So uh, let's sing all this together.